Revived Thoughts is a production of Revive Studios. This is Troy and Joel, and you're listening to Revive Thoughts. Troy, we are doing a another revived conversation. Revived conversations are where we take a bit of break from listening to a sermon and we talk about things that we've seen in church history and how they might apply to us in modern day America or, or modern day global worldview, <laughs> however you fit into that. Uh, today, we're going to talk a little bit about kind of how sermons have changed. You know, we started off talking about sermon lengths, but it, you know, that, that conversation might involve to other aspects of sermons, because uh, they have changed. Sermons preached, you know, a, even 200 years ago, certainly a thousand years ago, um, kind of the the form, the formula, if you could say, the, the, the structure of them is very different than how we talk in sermons today. Yeah, Joel, I would say that for starters, I always kind of emphasize like how much things are the same. It's really crazy and incredible to me when I was... Uh, going to university where people were talking about uh, the Christian faith, or if you look up what people say online, it's stuff. one of the big criticisms is that, you know, oh, all this stuff got added on later. It's not what the original apostles would have even wanted. Uh, you'll see all these different things, not even just from, you know, secularists or uh, people who are against God. Even Christians will say, oh, you know, everything's changed. Everything's changed. And it got added in by, you know, Constantine or, or whatever it is. And in reality, what I've seen through reading all these sermons, editing all these sermons, working on this show, one of the things that's really stood out to me is how much things have not changed, how much things have really, uh, over the course of 2,000 years, there's actually a lot of sameness between uh, sermons, reading the scripture, talking about what you see in it, and uh, just kind of walking it through and then giving some application. That's still a pretty common model. And that was being used at least by some people for the whole period. And so that's pretty cool. I, 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 I think it's amazing when we get messages and emails, especially from usually new listeners who check out the show and they go, I can't believe how much this sermon from 300 years ago was relevant to my life today. How much this spoke to me right now where I'm at. Like, how is that true? And I, I think only through God's word, I think the word of God does not come back void. I know the word of God is timeless. And so these thoughts that we see on these sermons stand the test of time. Yet, there is also something to the idea that we can learn from how they used to do things differently. In fact, we may even be edified and maybe challenged to see that some of the things we do uh, in sermons today are not things that were really that common back uh, then, and that sermons have actually changed uh, in more of the method. I would say a lot of the methods mm-hmm. of sermons, uh, things you might expect to hear or see in a sermon, maybe weren't always there and didn't used to be there the way we would see them. Uh, this idea really spun off the idea that Joel and I were just talking about sermon links and how sermons, the length of a yeah. sermon has sure. changed let me, over let me, let me ask you this, you know, just to, to put you in a frame of reference, I'm just curious, in a perfect universe... As a 21st century man who was raised in America, what is your ideal perfect sermon length that you like to hear? When you go to church on a Sunday morning, how long would be, you know, you're listening to the pastor, it's a good engaging sermon. What is your preferred length of sermon that you'd like to hear? Yeah, no, uh, probably, it, it, I don't want to go too long. It's probably just only four hours, you know, anything longer than Oh, that. you're so holy. I mean, we get it, uh, Troy. <laughs> we, sometimes I put stuff out there, and uh, that's like a Twitter response where people will be like, I could be on there all day. And I'm like, okay, no, you couldn't. Don't don't be that guy. Um, 
honestly, a 35 to 40 minute sermon. Some of you, I know you go to churches where you listen to a sermon for an hour and you love it. And you're probably hearing that and judging me. I know I actually, the church I attend currently goes for an hour and it's not, I, the 35 to 40 minute range is when I start to really struggle uh, a lot of times because that's just, I, maybe I'm not used to it. Maybe I haven't been trained for it. Whatever the case may be, that is where I start to really struggle and want to start checking my phone a lot more and want to start um, thinking like, okay, how much longer is the sermon going to be? That That's me. That's where my max mm-hmm. kind of ca- caps out. And that's not to say that if there's an amazing speaker that wouldn't be different. I have had speakers, you know, where I'm like, whoa, that was an hour. I didn't, I hardly blinked. You know what I'm saying? I, I understand all that. I'm just saying on an average Sunday morning, 35 to 40 minutes of the actual preaching message, I feel like is where my attention span yeah. really maxes out. I feel out. like, uh, you know, I'm curious how much of this is just due to how we were raised or, you know, due to environments in which we grew up on. I've gone to the same church my mm-hmm. entire life, and we've always had almost a, a pretty precise 45-minute sermon length, right? By the time you get done with the worship and your special music and a pastor gets up there to start a sermon, it's almost 45 minutes to the to the to the minute which uh you know in uh with busy families and stuff it's i appreciate yeah. having a, a time that you know i can consistently plan around uh i feel like i don't know if it's accurate to say well i think it is accurate to say that we're more busy now than people were in the past I don't know if it's accurate to say that it's busy with good things, you know, like we, we, we make ourselves busy with a lot of silly, stupid stuff that, you know, maybe shouldn't be taking precedent. Um, yeah. You know, I don't know that people 200 years ago had to go, wait, I got to update the Twitter feed. You know, right. <laughs> I got to make sure this podcast is loaded in the docket, you know, in the middle of winter when the crops are not growing, you throw some feed on the chicken and, and bake some pies, right? Like I feel like, okay, I probably like, what do you even do? So like, anybody, you know. I mean, like church usually gets over about the time you you're going to eat lunch and people start getting hungry, mm-hmm. you know, if it goes too long. Yeah. Like, did people just not get as hungry back in the day with longer sermons or did they have food there? Like, I don't mm-hmm. know. There's, there's biological limits to how there was, you can, <laughs> you can sit in the sermon. I do think there was a lot of churches where they did, like, it was an all day sure. thing. You came, you listened to the sermon and you were going to have lunch like as a church together. I know that was definitely common like in the frontier, yeah. you know, in the Midwest of America and the early founding kind of stuff. And and I think it's just different, too, because they grew up with it. And if they didn't go hear the town pastor speak, what else did they have to do for the week? You right. know, a lot of times there was no there's no uh, TV shows. There's no sports. There's nothing like that. So, you know, one of the only exciting events is uh, we have a guest speaker. This, you know, oh, he rode all the way in from, you know, the town next door or something like that. <laughs> Um, so uh, yeah, that, I think that does play a role in it where like part of the reason they were more patient maybe was that. However, George Whitfield living in the 1700s is, uh, famously quoted as, I don't know if this quote is actually his, you know, sometimes quotes get attributed to somebody when they're not, but I'm pretty sure this one is attributed to him. And it is, uh, if you are speaking for longer than 25 minutes, you better be an angel or your audience had better be an angel. And the basic idea is like you, there's no way you have anything that is worth saying for more than 25 minutes that they're going to, you know, pay attention to either you be it better be amazing or your audience better be very patient because you're going to lose them after that 25 minutes. And that was 300 years ago, right? Like that, that was, and that guy was known for being, you know, one of the best speakers uh, in the world at that time. Benjamin Franklin saw him. He had seen many people speak and he had extremely high praise for seeing George Whitfield speak when he was younger. So it tells you that Whitfield was top notch, yet he's telling you 
keep the sermons on the shorter side. And that was a long time ago. On Revived Thoughts, I feel like we will often, in a little bit of the editorial uh, uh, time frame there, we, we try to keep sermons relative, well, you know, we try to keep our episodes at like an hour max. And a lot of our episodes come in at like a 30 minute mark. You know, we have some episodes that are 20, mm -hmm. 25 minutes, um, but they usually range between a 25 minute to hour long episode. How representative would you say, you know, if you were to take the, uh, an average sample size of all of the uh, sermons that we cover, what would you say is the average sermon length? And do you see trends or are different ways that those yeah. change over the years? So there's definitely trends. Uh, if you're older, like we're talking the ancient sermons, talking Augustine, or we're talking a Chrysostom, those guys, they would probably preach, I mean, an hour or two, and we're getting kind of their 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 translations. They're long. Those dis, like discourses back in the ancient days were long, and they were trained to be like these speakers, like Augustine and Ambrose, and these guys were trained to be like these speakers that could speak for a really long time and keep their audience uh, engaged. And so, I mean, imagine like a professor at a university, they can speak for two or three hours too, right? And they might take a little break for water or something, uh, but they can go for a really long time oftentimes. That, but it's church and you're getting engaged the whole way. Then you move into uh, some of the more medieval sermons and those actually can kind of tend to be, I think, a little bit on the shorter side, actually. Um, we had a sermon by Boniface and it was uh, very short. And I can point to some others that were a little bit shorter. Some are long, some are short. Obviously, there are exceptions to every rule, but... The point is they kind of got shorter during those medieval era days and they weren't quite as they're, they're not difficult to edit in terms of length for me. And then we get to the Reformation and then the sermons just start going crazy how long they are. Um, you know, Martin Luther usually puts in like an hour, an hour, 20 minutes on his sermons. Um, and you get to some of these reformed gentlemen. Actually, to, to be fair, one of the you know guys you would think of, John Calvin, when I go through his sermons on the Passion of the Christ, they're actually not that long. They're probably about 45 minutes to an hour, which giving, given who it is, you would think they would be longer, and they're, and they're really not. Um, but man, some of those Puritans, some of those guys, and there's a sermon I would love to do. I had a sermon by George Fox, you know, famous for Fox's Book of Martyrs. I wanted to put it in the sermon. In per terms of pages, his sermon is 240 pages long. Wow. That would have been like a three or four hour sermon. I'm like, yo, I can't, we, that's insane. I'm sure it's wonderful, probably great. And it was, you know, considered a great sermon. What, a, what That's absolutely wild how long that is. Uh, John Bunyan, he had a, what, what I look at in terms of pages, and it was a 75 page sermon. And it ended with the line that I, I, I love, because only a Puritan could end a sermon this way. After a brief overview on this subject, hopefully we were able to get something from it. And I'm like, what? A brief? Oh, this was probably an almost two hour sermon. And you're saying it was a brief overview. Like these guys could just go uh, very, very long times preaching. As you get towards the 1700s, you start to see those getting shorter. Um, and and then when you get to the 1800s, they honestly get pretty, it's not uncommon for them to be pretty short. Spurgeon sermons tend to be pretty long. Uh, but some of the other guys preaching in that era are short. Some of them are almost too short. And then it's like, I, I when I look at them in terms of pages, it looks like it's maybe 10 or 15 minutes. And I'm like, that's a really short sermon. Uh, what, you know, it almost is too short for the show. I feel like Moody was so relatively definitely short. Seen, yeah, Moody was not, D.L. Moody was not a particularly long, he did have a few that were long, but it, it would you would vary. You could be 45 minutes with him, but you could have definitely sermons in the 25-minute range. 
Uh, and then when Elise was running her show, Revived Radio, some of those sermons were pretty long. They'd be like 45 minutes, but there were a lot of them that you could fit into like a 25-minute radio broadcast easily. And they were really good sermons. Uh, one of Rolf Barnard's sermons was really great, but it was only like 24 minutes. I mean, so you you really see these things getting shorter, getting edited down, and getting you know cut down to the the, the bare minimum. And I think that that is definitely something that's more recent. As in like the past couple hundred years, we've seen short sermons getting um, significantly shorter. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I think that in the 15 to 1600s, maybe they got a little too long. Um, I'll edit sermons by some of these guys and I'm editing like the same line said four different ways. Uh, so I don't think it's bad that we've gotten somewhat shorter. The criticism often is though, is it because our attention span is so much shorter and we don't mm-hmm. have the ability to focus on these things as much. Um, and that actually goes to something else that is more of a recent phenomenon, which is personal stories. You, one, I love uh, list, I love D.L. Moody's sermons. I think he's a really excellent speaker and an excellent preacher. And I, we've had many of his stuff on a show. And we have somebody working on a D.L. Moody sermon, hopefully coming up here uh, in the future. Yet, it is something to note that he uses a lot of personal anecdotes, a lot of personal stories. But if I go back another 200 years and listen to, you know, grab sermons by John Flavel or Thomas Watson, I'm not going to find nearly as much of those personal anecdotes and personal feelings and personal struggles. You're going to find actually that most of those things are not present really at all. What you will find in those older sermons, especially in that Reformation uh, Puritan era, is a lot of language that is loaded with scriptural language, even though they won't tell you it's scripture. And what I mean by that is you'll find a lot of like sentences and paragraphs even where they'll say, from, you know, from the holy heaven, you know, from the holy heavenly father through whom the fount of all truth flows into the garden of the future of our paradise. And you know that almost everything in that has like scriptural backing, but they're not saying, they're not walking you through it. They're not saying you're the fount of life, which we see in Psalm, you know, whatever. And the, 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 the paradise garden that's coming as we see in revelation 22, they just kind of assume that their audience gets their symbols and gets their illusions and is able to understand what it is they're referencing back to. Now that doesn't mean they never do it. They might say, you know, in the book of Kings, we see Hezekiah do this, but they oftentimes will just start loading it with biblical language and things that are not directly they're, they're very clearly references to scripture, but they don't tell you that. And that's something that you don't see as much today. I feel like when a pastor goes through verses today, he makes it usually very, very clear. Hey, as we see in Colossians 2, you know, 1 through 2, this is what the text says. You know, Do you understand what I'm saying, Joel? Yeah. Yeah. Why do you think that shift was made? Are we getting dumber and we need things explained to more? Well, and, and <laughs> that could be one aspect of it. It's possible that as we become more biblically illiterate, we're less Bible friendly, or just the idea that there are going to be people coming through our door. I mean, I lived when I lived in Kansas City. I met a guy who had never heard, had no idea what Noah's Ark was. Hmm. And so, if you you know you put that guy in a church today where they're doing all that biblical language, he's going to miss all of it, right? Like he's not going to get those references uh, unless you tell it to him. But I think there's something else that's actually happening too. I think that the in that era, the Puritan reformers, there was more of a attempt to try to use the language to create feelings right. and to create images in your mind. And I think now what we often see with sermons is we're trying to prove maybe a point. And so we're using the scripture in that way as like a tool. Like as you see here in Colossians 2, 
you know, one third, two, I keep using that like that, but you know, you're, you're, you're making, this is where I'm building my bridge as more, maybe more of a scientifically minded people. We want to see that evidence. Well, if you say that statement, where are you getting it from? Whereas I think maybe in the earlier, in a couple hundred years ago, they weren't really worried about proving each of the points they make through scripture as much. Like, here's where I find all the evidence for this in these verses right here. Uh, you know, let me go through them as I speak, but more of trying to create a, a feeling of an awe towards God, maybe using the scripture more. And so they're trying to do a little different. And that's not to say that the Puritans did not quote scriptures. Of, co of course, if you've read their sermons, they do, and they can be very exegetical and they can go straight through it. I'm just saying that they would be less likely to have to feel the need, I think, to source everything they said in their sermons so often. Why do you think the appeal to the human emotion has has increased so much over the past couple hundred years? I think... Uh, Part of it is just that we as humans have changed a lot culturally in the past couple hundred. And a lot of this, obviously, we're speaking uh, from a Western perspective. Look, I don't know how sermons have changed if you're Syrian Christians, but from a Western, you know, England, America, Western Europe perspective of where we see a lot of our sermons coming from, because that's where a lot of them are recorded. Uh, we as a people have become a little bit more like, kind of focused on these feelings of what we're going to go through. And I don't think that that was necessarily as much of a desire back then. I, a, a good example, and this really shocked me when I kind of noticed it. A, a listener once wrote in and said, you know, hey, did just preachers of the past never put jokes in their sermons? And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, well, when I listen to your show, I never hear anybody making jokes. He's like, but I went to a seminary in, in our exegetical preaching course. We were like told you need jokes, like you need emotion. You need to <laughs> you need you know, get, open you need people to have up. Some jokes. Yeah, exactly. Like you need to be funny and you need to be trying to get people feeling loose and comfortable around you. And so it was really emphasized, like put some jokes in your sermon. Um, and he was like, but when I look at your, like, I never hear a joke in any of your sermons. And I thought about that. I was like, it's true. The only time I feel like maybe you start to see some of that humor start to shine is the late 1800s when they start to get more towards that era. But I can't think of hardly any jokes in all the 200 or so sermons we've run through on this show. I can't think of hardly, you know, Jonathan Edwards wasn't like you're dangling from a web like a spider. Uh, ew, right? Right, everybody? Like, <laughs> it's not, he's not joking as he does this. So there was definitely a very much, I think, a more solemn, sincere attitude. And it, it is possible that maybe they, did, maybe they did joke off the cuff a lot, but they just didn't put them in the sermon notes. But that would be you know, 17 or 1800 years of everyone agreeing, we'll make jokes, but we're not going to put them in the notes. Um, I think it's just, it's probably true. I think jokes are something that get added in, that we've been adding in the past couple hundred years that were not as common back in the day. Does that make jokes mad? bad? Does that make the more personal anecdotes um, bad? No, not necessarily. In fact, some ways I think it's kind of sad that we have all these sermons by John Bunyan, but we never hear him uh, from you know, the, from the, from the pulpit being like, this is what it was like in jail, but I would do it all again. That would be kind of a cool, I would like to see that sermon. And every once in a while we see something like that. And I think it's really cool. The execution of Samson Occam is one of those examples in the 1700s where the guy's like pointing at the guy who's about to be executed. He's like, this is for you, man. And all of us watching need to realize we could be you if it wasn't for Christ. And it's, that's a powerful moment because he's bringing that personal in, but it's not, it's not the, it's not the norm. They tended to be really focused on preaching that doctrinal truth. And you'll have these guys where 
you know, they've lost children, they've lost family members. They, you know, some of these guys have outlived all their children and their wives. Um, and they barely mention it from the pulpit. And you're like, that's so different than what we do now. If we have, you know, if we have a hard time, you expect your pastor to share some of that and to, you know, tell, show you how to emotionally walk through it. And it, it's not uncommon to have, you know, people on the stage really just emotionally going and going. And that's not the case for most of church history. That was not something that you really saw being done there. I think the attitude was, and I, and I don't think this is bad. But I think the attitude was, we're, this service is to lift your mind and lift your spirits and to lift you up so that your thinking goes upwards towards the heavens. Like you're going to God, you're forgetting these things on earth and you're being lifted into that place. And so we're not going to bring jokes. We're not going to bring personal stories. We're not going to bring ourselves into this because we're trying to empty as much of us in this as we can. I, I'm thinking of a, I believe it was Chris Austin who said, you know, you guys have come to hear me speak today but I'm hoping that you'll forget it's me speaking and that the Lord will use it. And so it's really this idea that I want to disappear and let God be lifted higher. Um, some of these guys would have even pulpits where they were designed almost to like cover a lot of their body. Like you, you would see only maybe their head or something popping up for the top of it because the, the emphasis was not supposed to be on them. Whereas, you know, today a lot of churches will have a big stage maybe a glass podium with as few barriers between you and the speaker as possible. And it's just a different mindset going into church, I, I think, of how it's meant to look. It is a different mindset. I mean, it's it's hard to imagine going to church to hear sermons like that. Like, I I, I, I think I like the more, emo, you know, sermons that have the more emotional appeal, the more relatable, they're more, um, yeah, easier to follow, more engaging, more entertaining. Why... Uh, is that a bad thing, I guess? I think that I normally don't like to say this answer because I don't, <laughs> I don't normally, but I think in this case, it could be a case of we need good balance. Mm -hmm. And I think that's actually why a show like Revive Thoughts is really good because you see, okay, here's how they used to do it. If you're going to change this method, why? Because is it that we changed because this genuinely reaches people better? You know, do we see better revivals happening in our day? Do we see more people being converted and living holy lives in our day because our preaching's gotten better? Hmm. Or were there other things like streaming, like, uh, you know, TV recordings and radio and broadcasting? And did those things have an effect on why we started to shift the way we were preaching and teaching uh, that broke kind of with 1800, you know, 18, 1900 years of history. Is there a reason why right when the radio age is starting and right when, uh, you know, this is all kind of picking up steam and sermons are getting published everywhere and it's suddenly becoming a really, really common thing to read them next to the new daily newspaper that suddenly the pastors got funnier and suddenly the pastors got more personal and suddenly the pastors got, you know, shorter in their sermons. Is there a connection? It doesn't mean that it's necessarily a bat to share what you're going through. Uh, you know, to a degree from the pulpit or to have a couple. I preach, you know, here and there, and I tend to throw jokes. I don't usually write them in. It's kind of come out of me um, naturally. And I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing. But what is the goal of those things? What are we, you know, what are we aiming for? And why is it happening this way? I think that if we're not careful, we can create a Sunday service that's much more of an emotions-based mm -hmm. uh, entertainment venue, certainly. And we can we can create entertainment venues in a way that they couldn't 300 mm. years ago. 300 years ago, you couldn't have you know a light show. You couldn't have a band play music that could be heard to an entire 
you know, stage, right? Like the way we can now and giant screens and videos. And we can really create something that they could not have created 300 years ago in a way that it wouldn't be a temptation for them. I think, and the reverse is, I think they were much more tempted with workspace services where you just all repeat certain lines together and do things a certain way together that could create almost a workspace attitude of this is what the service looks like. Boom, 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 boom. You know, that kind of, if that makes sense. And I think that was maybe more of a temptation back then to do things like that. And I think where we now have kind of come to the other side of that spectrum where we're going to be more tempted to make those giant entertainment style uh, venues where we're very emotional, we're, you know, we're doing those things in ways that it wouldn't have been necessarily as common in the past. And so I, this is one of those rare, if you listen to this show a lot, you'll see, I don't actually like to say like, oh, we just need to balance the both. But I do think in this case, there's nothing wrong with the way they were doing it before. And there's not necessarily anything bad about the way we're doing it today. I say often, like there are sermons by poets, there are sermons by scientists, there are certainly like, all of these guys are different. And that's part of what makes them great. Christmas Evans has beautiful images in his sermons. Jonathan Edwards is kind of much more scientific and both of them were used mightily by God. It's not necessarily that you have to do it a certain way, but being aware of the pitfalls of what you're doing and maybe looking at yourself and going, am I preaching with these stories and these jokes because that's what I was told to do? Or is that actually like the way that is the best way to preach Christ crucified? And you might look at it and go, you know, maybe I need to be a little bit more, uh, theology and scripture heavy like those old guys and likewise maybe those old guys were a little too heavy on some of that stuff maybe it, we've moved in a better direction of reaching i think you have to think about that one for yourself each, each pastor and each church is going to have to kind of work through that but being aware that what we're doing today is kind of unique is something i think we should we should be aware of yeah i think it's it's hard to know where the line between adapting to meet your audience and vainglory overlap, you know? Because, again, I mean, a lot of these pastors, I guess a lot of them did have sizable audiences, but nothing like, again, the reach that we have today in today's large church environment, especially online with streaming, like we have, and just the population growth. Like there's just inarguably, I mean, if we're looking back to the medieval era, or, or even, yeah, I mean, if you go back to your Reformation era, your Puritan era, we're, there's billions of more people on the planet than there were back then. <laughs> like, there's yeah. just a lot more people to reach, to have, yeah, yeah, you, that you have access to. So tactics, you know, change over time and over, over eras, uh, not only to meet, the more people that the demand is there for, but also in the ways that communication has evolved over time as well. So um, I would be interested, it'd be interesting to talk to like a, you know, anthropologist uh, shrink to, to hear about how the psychology of interacting with large groups of people has changed over the years. Cause I feel like that is also a factor in it. Yeah. And I think too, another thing is just, People had like, I don't want to say they have more common experiences, but if you get 30,000 people together in George Whitfield's day, which he would do, he would bring these huge crowds together in the field. I, he was probably speaking to like what, 80, 90% of them were farmers. You know, there was like some commonality there, right? Whereas, yeah, I think it'd be really easy to talk to if you bring 20,000 people together. Now it's very, very, mm -hmm. very likely diverse. these people have almost nothing in common, right? Like they, they may 
be from different parts of the world. They may be from very different backgrounds. And there might actually be a lot of real differences. So maybe part of the reason that there's this more emotional um, outreach is just trying to like, I, the, the, the bridge has to be the guy mm -hmm. speaking because uh, in the scripture that he's bringing to you, because you don't actually have that much in common on your own. That's just a thought. It's something that kind of like is really different. We're, we're also dealing with the fact that the cultures have changed so much. I think sometimes we look at the West or we look at countries, you know, like America, Canada, England, we'll go, okay, those are, you know, those are the countries that kind of speak the same. They all speak English. It's very similar. No, you, you would not, um, you would find that the culture two or 300 years ago was wildly different than the culture you're looking at today. And in the same way, I have a friend of mine who's from a different culture and he was talking not that long ago about, you know, if someone lost a loved one, or gotten like a really bad accident, it would be common for everyone from his country to just kind of come together and just stay at that person's house for several days if that happened. And they would cook food and they would talk and they would just be there. And that was their way of uh, showing love to that family. You know, it would be considered very unloving of you and you would show that you didn't care much about them if you didn't do that. And, I, and at the time I was with some other people and they were from America and all of them were just like, that would not be something I would like. I would... They really hate if I lost a loved one or was going through a hard time. And I had all these people just sitting around in my house all day long. Uh, people have changed and that people have different cultures. And these people of the past had different cultures too. So it's important to note that like just because in England in the 1600s people were preaching this way, that might have been the best way to reach people back then. That doesn't necessarily mean we need to repeat and do what they were doing uh, exactly mm -hmm. the same way today. The culture has changed dramatically. And if you try to reach a culture and a group of people using, you know, your own tactics, much like the person staying at a house or not staying at a house, uh, you might accidentally, you know, be really stepping on a lot of toes. And so it's just the idea, too, of like history is going back to different cultures and we need to kind of remember that they're different than us. Uh, and we're learning from them and seeing things that we can apply to today. But not everything can just be transferred and, you know, teleported to today's era. Yeah. Yeah, not everything, but I do like, and I think this is the kind of the, you know, the the key of revive thoughts and and our our championing statement is like there is a lot of stuff that can be applied to modern church. For me, I guess yeah. the main, I don't know, I liked what you said when you're talking about how a lot of these older sermons, while be it uh, jokeless, uh, they did have <laughs> this emphasis on yeah, trying to put the focus on God and not on anything that a man is doing there. And, and, you know, just kind of to, to strip away all earthly distractions and, and put the focus on God. And that's something that, yeah, I feel like could be more incorporated into modern day sermons in a way that uh, some sermons, yeah, some sermons definitely don't do that where it's all about, yeah, personal stories and, and experiences and stuff like that. And uh, it's more about, the person or the people than it is about God's glory. So with, with most things revive thoughts, it's taking, taking the good from the past and trying to figure out how it fits into our life currently. Yeah. And, and trying to learn from the bad. That's true. Like, yeah. Hey, these, these guys made mistakes. So let's, let's not make their same mistakes in our own time. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. I think that's going to do it for uh, this revived conversation. If you have an idea for a revived conversation, if you've ever had a thought about church history or speakers from the past and you go, that's an interesting thought, let us know. 
Yeah, like a thought like, hey, did anyone tell jokes back then? Are you editing the jokes right. out? Like, where are the jokes? <laughs> uh, I would have never thought to look for that. And as soon as since he since that person sent to that to a year ago, it's something I can't almost not miss now. So you guys are noticing things that we're not. Yeah, yeah. Write in and let us know. Revivethoughts at gmail.com. You can find the link in the show notes below. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. This is Troy and Joel, and this is Revive Thoughts.